You've heard the whole thing. Oh, you can hear me now. I can hear myself. Hello. I'm Arsene Anarsin. I'm an artist and creative director of London-based experiential studio Marshmallow Laser Feast. And I'm sure you're wondering what the hell is that? I hope you'll understand what we are up to and what we are doing with this name at the end of it. But basically, um, we're a small studio based in London, working in the intersection of art, science, and technology. And um, we are working on quite broad range of projects uh, that employs different type of expertise, uh, and often the, the processes are totally col collaborative. And um, I'd like to show you some of the projects that we've been doing for last five, six years. But primarily, I'd like to talk about some of the passion projects that we are doing and we want to do for the future. And here's this tiny film that you can see, a broad range of, range of projects, kind of from installation art to light sculptures, from music videos to TV commercials. And it's often um, doing those TV commercials in order to pay for art projects. So it's kind of Robin Hooding uh, every now and again. And there are drones, obviously, as you can see. says, well done, dude, what a show. So, sometimes one gift can explain everything you do. And rather than talking about it, basically what we are trying to do is blur the boundaries between digital and physical. And how we do that is often, you know, employing cutting-edge technology. And I'd like to just point something out. Uh, because this struck me when I was still studying, um, looking at those horses. We've been drawing horses on the, the cave walls for like 42,000 years. Uh, we domesticated horses and living with them for 5,500 years. And this painting from 1821, that pictures uh, horses running like this. And it took another 50 years for us to identify and understand how actually horses are running. So. As you can see, Mybridge, coming up with the invention of chronophotography, allowed us to understand how actually a horse is running. Um, when you see this, you know, they don't run like that. It's like, right. So basically, technology enables us to, to create this shift in the perception through art. And this is how we are employing technology to create those shifts. And, um, Alex was showing some of those slides, so we didn't know what we are showing, but uh, I'm glad he went through Ivan Sutherland's. Because virtual reality is, feels like something new, but you know, immersing audiences can be tracked back to ancient Greek. They were using puppeteering and kinetic sculptures on stage for thousands of years. And when we come to 1900s, we see incredible in innovations uh, that try different techniques and technologies. Uh, most of them didn't work, and I suppose there are things that we can learn from that process. And uh, 
the most importantly, what I love about virtual reality is, is, is a medium that uh, architect, architects, filmmakers, documentary makers, uh, sculptures, everyone literally claims ownership over. But it's none of those. It's probably a combination of all of those things. And there is no other medium that makes us question conscious experience, selfhood, authenticity, or realness, as much as virtual reality or mixed reality does. Um, so it's an important aspect of a medium that carries so much that we need to create a code of conduct and give examples uh, to how to actually um, create that medium for the future. And we call it orchestrated sensory experiences. And our take on it is the world beyond the limits of our senses. So basically, um, if you can do a project other than virtual reality or mixed reality, don't do it in VR. Uh, do it whatever medium is native to it. And do things that you can't do in otherwise. So in 2015, um, Grisdale Forest is famous for its sculptures. And upon the Normal Devices Festival approached us to commission a new piece of work uh, to put in the forest during the festival. And uh, obviously, we were not sure what to do. And we went down there to a recce and just looked at the forest. And we realized we know shit about forests. So I've got a small test for you. How many of you cannot name all the logos here? How many of you can name all the plants? Four, five. What about this one? Basically, an average human being can differentiate 430 logos, but yet to understand and differentiate five different plants and, and, and leaves. And this is incredible, because it was shocking. I can put a computer together, my eyes closed, but I can identify those things. That, kind of, that became the reality when we went out there. And then that idea sparks. Can we reconnect with nature by using virtual reality? It sounds like oxymoron, and I'm not a kind of this delusional, techno-optimistic hippie. But I'm sure we can find a new way, a novel way of doing this. And by researching this field and the forest, came, kind of came across with this term called umwelt, which is self-centered world. Every species, um, kind of their perception of reality is dictated by their sensory features. Therefore, a mosquito that you share the same room with sees the world totally different than yourself. And that led us to build a narrative in that forest. What if we start the, the journey as a mosquito, then go into a dragonfly, and then you go into a frog, and then an owl, and then you take the headset off, that's you. So, we build this journey by um, scanning the, the forest using an architectural tool. It's called LiDAR Scanner. It's incredible. You can capture volumetric information down to sub-millimeter accuracy. And then manipulated that raw data based on the sensory features of those animals. We did this with uh, using weird helmets, uh, which I'll talk about why we designed this part. But basically, um, you walk 15 minutes from your car park to the installation area in the forest. That's just enough to lower your blood pressure, calm you down. And an invigilator, a helper, comes up to you and gives you that weird helmet. And you start seeing the same part of the forest through the eyes of a mosquito. The most interesting feature of mosquito, they can see CO2. So there is this invisible layer available to them 
other than us. And they can navigate in the forest and in the city using those incredible senses. So if you think about this, if you don't breathe, breathe in the nighttime, they wouldn't come to you. It's like, oh, there's this feature that we don't know and we don't have. How can you put someone into the, the shoes of a, of a mosquito? But you're flying as a mosquito in the forest, then you get eaten by a dragonfly. A dragonfly sees 300 frames per second. It's much higher than your iPhone camera. And they see full spectrum of light. And obviously, the same part of the forest is kind of um, turning into a different world, as you see. This is kind of representational, speculative aspect of how a dragonfly would see. And you are flying as a dragonfly, and then you get eaten by a virtually blind animal, a frog. Frog has this intelligent eyes that sees only flying things in a horizontal axis, and they don't see anything else. So if the, the prey is much larger, they don't see it. So either, the, mosque, uh, either the, the, the frog or the prey should move in order for frog to analyze and see it. And we build the narrative around those features. So when you look around, you don't see much. You only see the horizontal things that are flying around you. But you are wearing a, a vest that's a, a tactile haptic feedback vest that gives you the feeling of riveting. Because some of the frogs can echolocate peers through riveting. They send this ripple. And they listen back through membrane body, listen back the incoming signals, and they triangulate the position of their peers, which is bonkers. But those studies done in the, the, the 40s and 80s, it's quite interesting when you, when you think about what are those sensory features and how can you translate into a human senses. And this was the subpack that I'm talking about. It's because you have to feel how they rib it, right? And you are creating all those ripples, sitting in a puddle. Obviously, you become an easy target for an owl. An owl has these conical eyeballs, so they see a, a football pitch. They can read the newspaper from the other side of a football pitch, which is quite bonkers, like hundreds of meters, incredible zoom capabilities. Uh, but they can't move their eyeballs, so they have to move the entire head. What we did with that was, basically, the central vision is really sharp but the peripheral vision is really abstract. And the, the main reason us designing this helmet was obviously it's more immersive because you are you know, um, challenged against the, the, the sunlight, rain in the forest. Obviously, it's England. It rains all the time. And the other reason was technology is ugly. It's really ugly. And check this out. This is a real blog. You've got to go and look at it because it's you know, internet is full of those. So we wanted to communicate what's going on in the headsets from the outside. And it became this voyeurism triggering, interesting sculpture for people who are waiting or looking at it. Um, but we probably used every opportunity to take that design 360 environment to different platforms. And the most interesting thing for it was um, the perception of time. When you scale it up to massive screens, the same content, the perception of time changes. So it became boring. The 10 minutes experience in a headset became five minutes, which is an optimum learning for us. And it's really interesting. As you apply these rules 
you create a master medium for yourself as a template. And now we are considering every, every project. Uh, how can you apply to a full DOM? How can you apply to a 360 screen as well as the, the, the multi-sensory storytelling part? And some of the examples that was in um, Mutech Mexico and Ronald's curtain call. Obviously, speaking of time, you know, looking at all those species, we realize trees are alive, actually. They do weird things, and some of them live up to 3,000 years, like those giant sequoia trees. Uh, some of them can grow up to 130 meters upwards. I mean, think about it. It's like 3,000 years old, the living individual thing that has ever existed, the biggest one, and we chopped down 95% of it in 1850s. This is like 30 years into Western man going into Yosemite Park. So there's this incredible story going inside of that tree, and how can we take that story to us to care maybe a little more because we only care the things that we relate to? And we did this project called Tree Hugger. Um, basically, you follow a drop of water being sucked by the roots and pump up to the canopy, and and moving up to the, the, the crown of the tree, and then you witness transpiration uh, in this molecular level. It's just spraying out. And that was the story. It's like non-verbal, uh, multi-sensory story that we built. Um, the, the most difficult part, obviously, was capturing that giant. This is the human scale next to it, and we were trying to capture it. It took like 96 different scans around the, the, the park in order to get the crown. You have to go all the way back and close and all those things. But we work with scientists from Salford University to understand the inner dynamics of those trees and try to replicate it. We are not doing data visualization. Still, it's relevant to the story, it being accurate and correct but not to a degree that it becomes data visualization. So we use artistic license from that point, obviously. And it did another uh, kind of unimodal uh, sensory aspect to the story. Worked with a startup from California. They developed that tiny device that can deploy up to 25 different scents, frame accurate to your nose based on your story. So we build this timeline how they should smell throughout the, the story. We call it Sandscape. Obviously, it didn't work because scent doesn't work like visuals or audio. So you learn this, and then you realize all your timelines mean nothing. How do you build a unimodal story by looking at individual features of perception and then create a cross-model from that? I think the, the only thing we found that would be the kind of out-of-jail card was emotional arc. If we follow an emotional arc and communicate with this emotional arc through combining different sensory aspects, it allowed us to create a story by just looking at the feelings rather than the visuals, audio, or other sensory features, which was quite interesting learning. And we are applying this to all the other projects. Um, this is one of the, the exhibits in Canada now that you can see two projects kind of combined. And as we develop more of those, it becomes a giant digital forest that you can experience all the energy flow within that. And this is from 1620s, and we still talk about multisensory storytelling through those four, maybe five senses. But those are the Aristotelian senses that we've you know, developed and uh, believe that only, 
only way we see the world. But actually, we've got almost 33 senses. You can't tap into each of those, maybe, but you can definitely play with some of those. The, for instance, if you can change the direction of your organs, meaning upside down a human being, then it creates a different sensation. Can we link that sensation to the, the heartbeat of the tree in order to create that landscape, new feelingscape? Um, those are obviously questions, and where we are going with this kind of inquiry is asking these things. How do we conceive something so much smaller than us, like mycelium? Mycelium connects entire forests to each other. It's called the wood wide web. The chemical conversation that's going on under the, 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 the soil is totally fascinating, but we have no concept of it. So can you embody something so much smaller than yourself that expands so much larger than yourself? And questions like this, like dolphins, do they dream in sonar? I mean, do they? Or what is it like to be a bat? Because ecological degradation uh, is not as you know, resource scarcity. We can find new means, new ways of uh, energy by using technology, but we are yet to bring an extinct specimen back. So I suppose if we ask those questions, if we bring more stories like this, we will have a better future. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.